It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. for meeting me in the middle sometime every Saturday at 2 when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right. We try to bring some context to the news of the week or a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. I don't know how hot takes, how hot they will be in some part of our listening area. You're going to get a lot of snow. You're going to get some snow up in Buffalo. You might have heard on the news break there postponing the Bills game. Hey, you live in Buffalo. You play football in Buffalo. Snow is kind of part of the deal. But they're going to move in. And, and let's face it, everyone loves watching these. Well, I don't want to get into a hot take about not having a hot take, but people love weather games. So I think they'll still have one in Buffalo. It's a great week uh, coming up for the for news. It was a great one in the past. We're going to take a lot of calls today, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I'll be here with Ava helping out on the board. I think Matt and Christian, I don't even know who's doing calls, but Matt is here helping us out. 800-848-9222. Wiener, W-A-B-C at gmail.com is how you can reach me. We'll be here till 4 o'clock, and then Left versus Right with John Katzmatidis. It'll be our third, our third tilt battle. We're going to go head-to-head on some some issues. I'm more ready than I was the last couple of weeks. I have to admit, I took him a little lightly. And then there was the thing that he is my boss, but people really responded well to it. It was suggested here by our social media people that we put up online, let people vote on who they think won left versus right with me and John. I decided that was not a good idea for my brand because, as you know, I've yet to lose a debate here. (laughs) I'm just kind of getting myself worked up. So he'll be coming in for uh, between 4 and 5. We're talking about some issues. There's a lot to talk about, a lot of news this week, a lot of stuff going on. Um, I also do a podcast called The Middle Unplugged that came out on Wednesday. I did an Iowa preview. The Iowa caucus will be on Monday. And speaking of weather, it looks like they are going to be just hammered with snow. And their caucus takes place um, in the evening, not all day. No absentee ballots except for limited exceptions. I think the military, you can have an absentee ballot. And I ask you, my listeners, everyone is like all freaked out about paper ballots and absentee ballots. What's going to happen? The turnout is going to be very low and people like senior citizens, 
people who have trouble getting around, people who don't have a four-wheel drive truck, they're not going to be able to vote. And I don't know why Republicans, or at least some, have said, oh, no, we're against voting by mail or we're against letting people vote over several days. I think it's it's short-sighted, but we'll see what happens. As if we don't know, you can listen to my preview of Iowa. By the way, the, the podcast not only talks about what's going to happen in Iowa, which we kind of know, it looks like about 50% of the people have already said they're going to vote for, in the polls, say they're going to vote for, for Donald Trump. It'll be a blowout. But I also talk about the history of Iowa, how it came to be, and an interesting thing about Iowa that many people probably don't know, which is how it, in 1976, everyone knows that Jimmy Carter got his big bump in Iowa, and that kind of started the mythology that Iowa is is the ticket. But there's a thing about that election that I bet you a lot of people don't know. We talk about it on the podcast. Feel free to download that as well. So they're going to get snow there. We're going to get some snow here, some last-minute news going on. Also a lot of end-of-the-year kind of polls and, you know, like how people thought 2023 was. And I found a really interesting one that is food for thought as far as I'm concerned. They asked people two questions. They said, how has the year 2023 been for you personally? And then they say, how has the year 2023 been for the country? And the reason I found this an interesting construct is, you know, I've talked to you in the past about how some of the news has actually been very good about the economy. Prices have come, have have stabilized. Inflation is basically back down to normal. Gas prices are very low. The, The stock market has never done better, et cetera. And yet still we see these polls showing that Joe Biden is widely disapproved of as a president. And so this poll asked the question that kind of gets to the heart of it. They they asked U.S. citizens, they said, has 2023 been for you personally? And your choices are good, I'm sorry, great, good, okay, not sure, bad, and terrible. Would you be surprised to hear that 71% said the year was good for them personally? That's pretty high. That generally means that people are feeling pretty good. But then you ask the same people, they say that less than 50% say that it is any one of those good ones, and almost 60% say it's been terrible or bad. So how do you explain that? Like when people say it's – and then you go by party, it's even more interesting. So you probably think Republicans who are very much anti-Joe Biden, they must be doing very poorly under – under Joe Biden. Nope. About the same number. 69% say it was either great, good, or okay. Not that, but when you ask them about the country, they're like overwhelmingly, something like three quarters of Republicans say it was a bad or terrible year for the country. But as I always like to do on a show called The Middle, I look at what independents had to say. And they said that 63% Interestingly, a little bit lower than the rest of the group. So you did that math right? 50, yeah, 63% said that it was in that category of good or great, a little less than the country as a whole, and actually less than Republicans, which is interesting. And they also say like something like 60% say that the country is not doing well. So there's this weird dichotomy going on, and I wonder how Joe Biden tries to deal with that. You know, if if you ask the question, are we better off? Americans are saying they are individually, but we're not as a country. So that's an interesting little take. So I was thinking a little bit, you know, I've, I, I took some criticism the last couple of weeks online about not taking enough enough callers. So we're going to get to lots of callers. And there are a few issues in the news 
this week that have me kind of thinking about this notion of, you know, we've had a lot of things in the news about about accountability. The week started with this conversation that went all the way up to the court, the Court of Appeals, that Donald Trump has been saying, you know what, I am immune from prosecution for anything, any official duty that I do. I'm immune from prosecution. And he points to the Constitution, says it's a, it's a separation of powers. You can't have the judiciary looking over my shoulder. And that's a that's a fairly preposterous kind of position to take on its face. They make an argument. They say, wait a minute, in the Supreme, in the Constitution of the United States, it says I, the president can be impeached. That's how he's he's held accountable. But then people start saying, well, wait a minute. Are you saying that if you're not impeached, you can do literally anything? And in cut two, we're going to listen to the Court of Appeals, the judge in the Court of Appeals, ask Donald Trump's lawyer if he really means it. Could a president order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival? That's an official act in order to SEAL Team 6? He would have to be and would speedily be you know, uh, uh, impeached and convicted before the criminal what prosecution. What if you weren't? There would be no criminal prosecution, no criminal liability for that? Chief Justice's opinion in order against Madison and uh, uh, and our Constitution and the plain language of the impeachment judgment clause all clearly presuppose that what the founders were concerned about was not... I asked a, you a yes, no, yes or no question. Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached... Would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first. So so your answer is is, no. My answer is qualified, yes. So what he was saying, what what Donald Trump's lawyer was saying is if you're not impeached and and convicted, then no, you can't be held responsible for killing someone with SEAL Team 6. And I don't think the court is going to buy that, and I don't think most of our listeners would buy that, this notion that you have no accountability. But we do turn to the courts to kind of figure these things out. And Donald Trump had a rough week in the courts in other cases that he was told that he had to pay $392,638.69 for bringing a frivolous lawsuit. He tried to sue the New York Times for doing a story about his taxes. And so the court says, well, you can't do that. And that's a frivolous lawsuit. You can't do that in the courts. And it's a good reminder that you know Donald Trump has been involved in over 4,000 lawsuits. Overwhelmingly, it's him suing someone for something. And also in New York State, there's this accountability. Are you is Donald Trump accountable to New York State laws that say you can't commit fraud? His lawyers argued, no, he doesn't have to tell the truth in these in these applications and in these things because no one believes them and no one pays any attention to them and whatever. So he's saying I don't have to follow that law either. And then also in the realm of accountability this week is Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden is being held in contempt. Or he, there was a hearing, was a hearing, I guess it was a hearing, on whether to hold him in contempt for not showing up when he was, when there was a, a subpoena. And you have to, you kind of have to do that when you're subpoenaed, you have to show up. But the interesting thing about this case, and we've talked about it in past episodes, is he was invited to come in person or to give a deposition, and he chose to come in person. And then the chairman changed his mind and said, We don't want you, we want you behind closed doors. So he shows up. Everyone loses their marbles. The Republicans say, you're making a charade about this. This is the law. We passed this subpoena. And 
He's sitting there in the front row while this is going on. Then he gets up and kind of storms out and holds a press conference outside. It was a complete zoo. I'm, we've, we've covered it here on 77 WABC a lot. But then in the question of accountability, this guy called Jared, Mo- Jared Moskowitz, I think his name is from the state of Florida, he actually was trying to make a point, but he actually offered a way that the committee could vote unanimously to hold um, to hold Hunter Biden in contempt. Listen to what he had to say. Listen, I'll, I'll make this bipartisan. I'll vote for the Hunter contempt today. You can get my vote. You can get my vote. But I want you to show the American people that you're serious. Here is the subpoena to Representative Scott Perry, who did not comply. I'd like to enter this into the record. Here is the subpoena to Mark Meadows. I'd like to enter this into the record, who did not comply. Here is the subpoena to Jim Jordan, who did not comply with a lawful subpoena. I'd like to enter that into the record. Here is the subpoena to Mo Brooks, who did not comply. I'd like to enter that into the record. Here is the subpoena to Mr. Biggs, who did not comply. I'd like to enter that into the record. And here's the subpoena to Mr. McCarthy, who did not comply. I'd like to enter that into the record. There's an amendment coming to add some of those names into the contempt order. You vote to add those names and show the American people that we apply the law equally, not just when it's Democrats, right? It's a crime when it's Democrats, but when it's Trump and the Republicans, it's just fine. No, show that you're serious and that everyone is not above the law. Vote for that amendment, and I'll vote for the Hunter Biden contempt. I yield back. You know, on, on, a, on one level, that's that was theater, right? He was making the point that all these Republicans refused to comply with subpoenas when when January 6th was being investigated. But on the other hand, I'm a little bit surprised that the Republicans didn't at least consider taking him up on it. But more, a bigger question for me is Hunter Biden showed up. He wasn't, he hadn't been invited. He showed up. He's right there in the front row and he's making this rhetorical point. I'm here. I'm not hiding from you. I just don't want to do this. Behind closed doors. And by the way, since that hearing, he's kind of changed his tune. He said, all right, I will come in under certain circumstances. Anyway, I have a question for you, my listener. Why didn't the Republicans just say we make a motion that Joe Biden step right here right now and answer questions for the committee? Call his call his bluff. And the the real reason for that is, in my view, is that this has all been. A show on both sides. The Republicans have yet to really show what it is that this investigation has anything to do with Joe Biden. They've been roughing up this guy, Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden's like, I'll come, but I want to clear my name. I want to appear before the committee. You're not going to do this in behind closed doors. You insulted me. You called me. You impugned me in public. I get to clear my name in public, just like any of us would want if we were accused. On the other hand, you can't just say I'm not going to comply with a subpoena and and I, I, you know, I'm a former congressman. I, I wouldn't tolerate that for Democrat or Republican. So there is this question of accountability. Who's going to be accountable? Eventually, Hunter Biden is going to have to comply with the subpoena. So that's going to get resolved in short order. And, and the final piece of news from this week, and like I said, this is we're going to take a, lot, a, a bunch of calls and you can choose the subject or subjects that you're interested in. And this is apropos the Steve Moore show, more money. It comes on before me. Definitely encourage you to listen to it. If you, if you only tune in for me, you definitely should tune in for him too. And it's this notion, you know, we we got data that last year, no surprise, was the warmest year, not close, by far, in the last century and a half, the warmest year. 
You remember back in June, that was the warmest June on record. Then July was the warmest July. And then in October or something like that, I said this was the warmest year on record. Someone called in and said, no, it was 2016. He turned. I said, oh, you're right. We haven't got through the whole year. It could know we could have this, you know, giant cooling trend at the end of the year that might turn it back. As it turned out, it wasn't even close. But who's responsible for taking smart steps to deal with that? And I mentioned Steve Moore because it's all us. I go, what about the Chinese? What about the Indians? What about, you know, our need to use fossil fuels? You know, on some level, we all agree with something here on the middle. And it unifies the left and right, Democrat and Republican, that we all believe in our bones that it's our obligation to leave a city, a country, a world a little bit better than the one we found. So whose responsibility is it to address the idea that this, the world, the earth is warming to an alarming degree, even if you don't buy the science that says it's man-made, it is our obligation to try to solve the problem, not just leave it for the next generation. And the same exact people that so say we can't leave them a big government debt, which is just money. We can leave them a world that is increasingly getting hotter and hotter and hotter without accepting any responsibility for that. And so this notion of responsibility, accountability is really on my mind today. And maybe it's because I, you know, I'm, many of you may be aware I'm, I'm in a program of recovery from addiction. And a lot of people think, well, oh, you know, addiction just gives you a free pass. No, actually, these, there's this notion of making amends. There's this notion of taking a rigorous inventory. There's a notion of accountability. It, it says you may have a disease, but it's your obligation to take the medicine. And a lot of what I deal with with Jordan at home as a 12-year-old is this notion around accountability. You know, what does it mean to be accountable for your actions? What does it mean to be accountable for your fellow man? What does it mean to be accountable to your community? And a lot of the conversations we're having in Washington and the national scene nowadays are people who are saying, I'm not going to take accountability. I'm not going to show up for a subpoena. I'm not going to – I'm going to argue in court that I'm not responsible for anything. I'm going to argue literally that I'm not responsible. I'm going to argue in court that if Joe Biden wants to go out and assassinate Donald Trump, if that's what he wants to do, get SEAL Team 6 to do it, that if Chuck Schumer decides not to impeach Joe Biden for it, that that's okay. You can't be held held accountable. That's just nuts. And I'm also at, I'm going to ask I'm going to ask John Katsimatidis about this at four o'clock on Left versus Right. We're going to have another one of our debates. Is when you have a porous border and, um, and border policies that have been outdated for decades, do you blame the people that make the laws or do you blame the cops who are trying to enforce them? I think you blame the people that make the laws. But it's food for thought. Great to have you along on the middle. It's snowy some places, rainy other places, and the sun is starting to crack here on the east side of Manhattan. So great to have you along. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. So they write us, and the river opens for the writers. 
Little Steven, bring us back in with I'm a Patriot. Anthony Weiner with you. This is the middle. I'll be here with you until 4 o'clock. Then John Katsimatidis comes in for another one of our left versus right battles. A lot to ask him about that went on this week. Donald Trump's trials, what's going on at the border. We'll have a lot to get to. If you don't have an opportunity to listen to us live, you can always hear it as a podcast. This show and just about every show that is on here at 77 WBC Radio is available wherever you get podcasts from the Red Apple Podcast Network. If you want to reach out to me, wienerwabc at gmail.com, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I was accused the last few weeks of filibustering, and so we're going to take some more calls this week maybe than we usually do. Let's get Joe and Jericho starting us off. Hey, Joe, welcome aboard. Hello, Anthony. Hey, Joe. Listen, uh, the bottom thing is everything's going out of The border has to be closed. There are some good people coming, but they're still – breaking the law, and these are able-bodied young men. And now I heard from Staten Island, now they want to put them in Fort Wadsworth, which is the oldest U.S. still consistent fort uh, in in the country, and that just doesn't make sense. And speaking of Staten Island, let's give a shout-out. 51 years, Richmond Valley, Dr. Esposito, Dr. Powell, and info at pawsofwar.org. Pawsofwar of War out on Long Island helps American veterans and their service animals, the service animals of uh, their family. I appreciate it, Joe. I appreciate it. So Joe wants to talk about, he wants, to, again, this idea of closing the border. Just so, I mean, look, we talked about it last week with John. I'll talk about it again if you like. I mean, the fact remains that we need to change the laws. You don't blame police officers when the legislature refuses to make something against the law. And, like, for example, we have all these illegal pot shops going that are around, and, and they're able to operate – because the city the city has not been empowered to send their cops out to close them down. Do I blame the cop for that? No. I blame the lawmakers for that. And the same is true with immigration. And I have said this a hundred times maybe. The Republicans don't want a solution. That's why there are some guys negotiating right now. But the House of Representatives, they were down at the border. And increasingly they're saying the quiet part out. You want to hear the quiet part out loud? Laura Ingram, like Laura Ingram was talking about immigration on Fox News this week. Listen to what she had to say. Now, no Republican should touch this or be involved with this sham in any way, shape, or form. Let the voters sort this out in November. We don't need a fig leaf of enforcement. We need a new president. Yeah, we don't want enforcement. We want a new president. We want the politics. And last, I played that guy Nels from Texas last week who said the same thing. I don't want to bail out Joe Biden. And it's a it's a tough issue for, for it, it it can't be solved. Look, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you some statistics about immigration. The this guy Mayorkas, we talked about accountability. This guy Mayorkas, the head of Department of Homeland Security, who's in charge of immigration. They're talking about impeaching him. They actually may do that in the House of Representatives, impeach him. Do you know that since Title Forty Two lapsed, because Title Forty Two is only with the COVID emergency, the la- the five months since it lapsed, 
Do you know that more people have been arrested, more people have been detained, more fentanyl has been seized in those five months than any time, any time in American history, including under Donald Trump? Now, we're getting over, over, overrun, and, and so many of the people that are coming in are requesting asylum, which is they are permitted to do under today's laws. And no border officer, no governor of Texas, no, no one can change that until Congress changes the laws. And if people take Laura Ingram, Ingram or Ingraham, I don't know, Laura Ingram's advice, which so many Republicans seem to be doing, of just let it continue. By the way, this is another thing I should mention to John. I have to come up with some good questions for John because he's roughed me up the last couple of weeks. I don't want it to happen again. He's coming in at 4 o'clock. So let's go to uh, Al and Yonkers. Hey, Al, welcome back. Uh, good afternoon, Congressman. You know, the Iowa caucus this Tuesday, they say it's going to be a really uh, bad weather event, as you know. It's Monday, Al. The worst on, yeah, on Monday, yeah. on record. But I believe that uh, President Trump, former President Trump, will win uh, in 2016 and 2020 in the general election. Iowa voted for him. Uh, he took the state. And I believe even though the president's uh, supporters are rural, uh, they're going to come out uh, through and through because they believe in him. They've seen that as the commander-in-chief, he, he had a, a three good years as president, really four. But then, unfortunately, we had the pandemic. But I think he's going to uh, take that uh, Iowa caucus on Tuesday. Well, well for, it's, it's Monday. But, Al, you, you raise an interesting – first of all, he, he lost the caucus in 2016 to, to Ted Cruz, but – but I think you meant he carried it in the presidential election in November. But let me ask you this, Al. One of the problems that they have there, and their caucus is, to say it's old-fashioned, is to understate it. They vote on – a lot of them don't even have ballots. They're just going to be plain pieces of paper put into a wooden box. Are you – and you're pretty good about the nuts and bolts of governance. Why is it, do you think, that Republicans think it's good for their brand to make it so hard for their voters to vote – by not keeping polls open for a few days, not allowing people to do mail-in voters, things like that. What do you think that that comes down to? I mean, I, I guess – what do you mean? Like, I'm sorry. Uh, could you explain that again? I'm sorry. Yeah, I so – no, I, I understand. And I, and, I, and I guess I'm just being I'm, – I'm, I'm being rhetorical. So Republicans in Iowa can't vote absentee. They, ha- they only vote at night on that Tuesday. And now it's snowing like the, like the Dickens. So if you're a senior citizen – if you are someone that lives 30 miles away from your caucus site, if you're someone that doesn't have a truck, if you're someone that can't get there, other states, like a lot of Democratic states, to be honest, say let's make it as easy as possible to vote. Let's have mail-in votes. If anyone wants to, you can get a mail-in vote. Let's keep the polls open more time. It's things like that. The problem is that, that Donald Trump and his allies have done so much to raise questions about the the election process that now Republicans are hurting themselves by making it so hard. I mean, and I just, I just don't get it. I thought maybe, maybe uh, Al, Al would. Is Kevin, is Kevin in Buffalo on hold here? I don't see him on my board. I don't know how to do the, there's someone on my, yeah, there he goes. Let's, let's get Kevin up. We'll wait. It'll be, it'll be worth the wait. It'll be worth the wait. Kevin in Buffalo. Hey, hello. How are you, pal? Uh, yes. I'm doing well. How are you? You're my. This is just for all our other listeners. This is my Buffalo correspondent. He sends me updates from <laughs> Buffalo. How bad is it there, Kevin? Well, what's interesting is not so bad as far as inches of snow. Very little. 
probably not even two inches. But the wind over the last week has blown out a lot of power lines, and the wind is continuing to kick up, which is a big reason they canceled the game uh, or rescheduled it. But uh, as you know, it comes in off the lake, and so we could get 15 inches down at the stadium at Highmark and have nothing north of the city. So that's why they canceled and rescheduled. It's really just a guess. Yeah, but what I thought you guys in Buffalo – are tough. You pride yourselves on being tough. I mean, it, bring is it, it on. Is bring it, it on. <laughs> we had our parkas ready, our boots. Uh, the fans would be there uh, on time tomorrow. Actually, they'd be there at nine o'clock, ready to uh, tailgate. Yeah. So, well, I I, uh, I appreciate Kathy Kathy Kathy, uh, Kathy Hochul, your uh, esteemed governor and uh, local Erie County executive, decided to work with the NFL and uh, move till Monday. Yeah, but what I don't understand about that decision is, you know, we all focus on the stadium and the people that are there in the building. These are t- these are TV events, and there is no better TV event in sports than a really horrible weather game. People love that stuff. Well, I mean, New York State and the New Yorkers should be very happy. We're putting in a one point four oh, million stop dollar it, stadium. For the love of God! It, no, no, let me finish. And it's not a dome. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the other problem. <laughs> Well, we appreciate you. We appreciate you checking in, Kevin. You, you, do you have anything political you want to get off your chest? Or you just called call to give us the barometric pressure. I uh, gave you the barometric pressure, but I'm going to turn to a serious issue and one that should be uh, discussed. Uh, the shooter here in Buffalo yesterday, the uh, feds were in yesterday to see if he should be tried at the federal level uh, for the death penalty. Uh, Peyton Grendon came, and uh, he's already been sentenced in New York State to life without parole, but uh, the question now, because it was a hate crime, should he now be, uh, you know, he will be tried, and the death penalty will be on the table. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, it's a heavy issue. Thank you, Kevin. Call us again. I mean, look, I, I have I've, I had started out in, in political life when I first ran for the city council in 1991, started serving in 1992. I was pro-death penalty. And very tough on crime, et cetera, et cetera. The more I consider that to be a mistake now, the more I have seen about people who have been exonerated, the more I see about the lack of accountability in some parts of the criminal justice system. Um, I just don't think that we should be making those types of decisions when there is a fairly reasonable likelihood of making a mistake. And I get the idea that. The death penalty is a way that we do kind of a visceral, guttural yell at how angry we are at something. But as it relates, as it relates to to, to our laws, um, you know, I I I did a lot of work when I was in Congress on making sure that the DNA database, that rape kits that were collected at crime scenes, that the database was updated, was transparent, because we found that DNA evidence has exonerated so many people. And unfortunately, there are some people for whom it was exonerated too late, and I don't think we as a country should have that on our conscience. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the issues of accountability in our lives and in our government. And then at the top of the hour, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, talk about foreign affairs, our battle against the proxies of Iran, the Houthi rebels. It's great to have you on the middle. We'll see you on the other side. <laughs> 
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Sometimes I lay under the moon, I thank God I'm breathing, and I pray, don't take me soon, cause I am here for a reason. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down, so when negativity surrounds, I know Back to the middle. That's Modest Yahoo. Maybe he should be in the part of the show that we talk a little bit about the Middle East. For now, we're talking about our domestic situation, accountability such that it is, and uh, how we change our laws to make those who are truly responsible. And, you know, uh, for those, (laughs) I got a few notes about did I ever get the apology from from Bill O'Reilly? Sort of, but no. So he was on. He wasn't on with Sid as regular hit this week. He was on though with John on Cats and Cosby. And my name came up. I should have gotten a cut of this. My name came up, and he called me a name, but he did not repeat. He did not. He did not repeat what he had been saying that I had told a lie or gotten something wrong. Now that he's seen the evidence, and now that he understands the law, and I've explained it to him, no, he has not. Um, Apologize, but I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Just, you know, people communicate in different ways. In Bill O'Reilly's case, it's just he kind of backs up a little bit, which is fine. That's not his normal gear, so I'll accept that for as much as uh, as it's worth. And for those of you who missed the episode, it was – I was talking about this notion of like what the law says about people who want asylum. And it does say that if you're in the United States, no matter how you got here, um, you're eligible for asylum. And most of the people who are coming to New York – are coming holding asylum, hearing, contact, phone numbers, and everything else because they presented themselves in the extra time. They figured it out. And that's the one thing I think we can all agree upon is that people who want to come here, they hear through the grapevine what's going on. And people keep saying, close the border, close the border, the door is wide open. Well, some of that was things that Joe Biden said at the beginning of his administration and even as far back as the campaign. And some of it's what people hear on on. And on Fox News, keep saying over and over again, the border is open, the border is open. These are the same laws. These are the same 
immigration officers. They're actually making more arrests than they ever have. They're doing a great job. I mean, with limited help from Congress. They're not, they've asked for money to be able to do more enforcement, and the, the Republicans in Congress have said no. They've asked for changes in the law to make it so that they can stop people in certain circumstances, and the Republicans in Congress have said no. And why is it? It's because they don't want to solve this problem. They, they, they much rather say Joe Biden, Joe Biden, open borders, open borders. And they're not the only ones. Even, even Eric Adams doesn't seem to understand these laws very well. You know, he was asked the other day at a president, should we close the border? And we're just what reporters say, yeah, we're going to close the Rio Grande River. We're going to close private property. We're going to. What are you talking about? There's, there's not. I mean, yes, the border has there are there are laws about who can cross. What happens if they cross and under what circumstances they can come and what happens when they get here? It's laws. We are a nation of laws. And we'll go over. I'm sure this will come up when John Katzmatidis and I reconvene our our little battles left versus right at four o'clock. So encourage you after this show to uh, stick around. Let's go back to the calls. I said we'd take some more this week. Ted and Paramus, go ahead, pal. Yeah, good afternoon, uh, Mr. Weiner. Let's see, uh, two things. Uh, one, in the case of the January 6th uh, committee subpoenas, they were illegitimate because uh, co- uh, Congressman Jim Jordan and uh, I forget the other fellow's name from uh, Indiana who were picked to serve on the committee by a majority speaker at that time were were not allowed to sit on the committee by Nancy Pelosi because they were so because the they January 6 yeah, the but, January 6 committee was illegitimate. Yeah, but Ted, here's the problem. You just explained in your question why that was the case. You can't be a witness and be on the committee any more than you can be a witness and be on the jury. Do you agree with that? Pardon me? You can't be a witness. They subpoenaed Jordan to be a witness. You cannot be that on. That was all just a ruse to keep him off the committee. To, no, yeah. he, 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 was, he, he was implicated by fellow Republicans in, this con, in, in, in the conspiracy that they were investigating. You can't be a witness. And if you're ever convicted, you're ever accused of a crime, Ted, and, and, or, or you're ever called to be a witness, the first thing the judge is going to say is you can't be on the jury if you're going to be a witness. And it's funny. Here's a funny. I mean, Ted, you you, you can respond, but it's funny. Everyone says they go, "Why all these different things happen?" But no one ever explains why didn't he just want to tell his side of the story? Why didn't he want to testify? Why didn't he want to stand up there under oath and testify? He's a member of Congress, and a congressionally he committee called him. Why didn't he want to? Ted, do you have an answer for that? Yeah. Because in this current corrupt justice system in Washington, it's dangerous. So what's the other justice system you want to use? We need to go back to the Trump era. That's what we need to do. No, but what justice system do you want to use? Hold on, Ted, 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 hold on a second. Let me just dial Ted down a little bit. Ted says you don't want to use this corrupt justice system. And I said to Ted, what justice system do you want to use today? What system do you want to use? Ted, you want to answer that? Yeah, we go back to the Trump era. I'm not saying go back in time. We're not going to get into a time machine. Today, if you're accused of a crime, what criminal justice system should well, we use? We need a whole set of reform because the Democrats Ted, have corrupted Ted, justice. Ted, I know you don't want to answer this question because it's the problem with your argument. If you're accused of a crime today, right now, what justice system should we use to decide if you should go to prison? Which one? 
I thought so. I appreciate it, Ted. Call us well, back. So. Call, call us back anytime. Let's go to Adam and Mineola. Hey, Adam, how are things, pal? How you doing, Mr. Weiner? Boy, boy, did you get Ted with that one? He was stuck. He was stuck. You sure um, I just wanted to say, sir, that I listened to those brawls that you have with Mr. Casamitidi, sir, and you are holding your ground, man. I mean, when I heard the first argument that y'all had, that little debate, the first one, he kind of admitted that Joe Biden's economy, the Bidenomics was working. I, I was listening right through it. I was like, wow. You know, what do we need to change presidents for? The gas is low. The stock market is up. You know, everything is going good. I don't know why they're hating on Mr. Biden. Well, the thing is, and I appreciate that vote of confidence, Adam, I think there pretty much was consen- – there were two consensus that came out of the first two versions of our debate on left versus right, me and John Katz. We're going to do another one at 4 o'clock. One consensus was that I seemed like I was uh, I was um, a little bit – you know, a little bit deferential. And that's true. I was deferential. The guy's not only owns the station, but he's a friend. He's not only a friend, but he's someone who gave me an opportunity to be on the radio. So I was a little deferential. But he responded to that. And he and he's said it publicly, but he also said it to me privately. He says, hey, it's his, when we get when we have these debates, you can feel free to hit me with as many rights as you want. Um, that's what I'm in there for. So this week I'm going to do that. The other consensus was that he kind of he he. He did kind of beat me in those first two debates. But I think I'm getting a little better at it. And I appreciate your vote of confidence, uh, Adam, that at least I got. We did, as I said, we did off the, the, the Stephanie and the social media guys. They said, well, why don't we post a poll to let people vote on who prevailed? And I'm like, only if you show me a way that I can, I don't know, prime the pump a little bit, call my four friends and have them spend the day like like monkeys at their laptops pressing wiener one because I'm I'm sensitive. We'll be back for the last few minutes of this hour. And then at the top of the hour, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk about what's going on in the Middle East, but also what's going on in Washington today with this pro-Palestinian march and some of the weird counterfactual. That's the nicest way I can say it about some of these protesters. We're going to get into that when we get and I see that that Ed and Tampa still up on the board. We'll get to you as well. It's Anthony Weiner. It's the middle. We'll see you on the other side. Finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. band called Echo doing the cover of Verve, Bittersweet Symphony. Great to have you back. We'll be taking you all the way to 4 o'clock today. Then, as you heard, 
John Katsimatidis and I will be reprising our left versus right, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, wienerwabcgmail.com. That's how you get a hold of me. Ava's on the board. Matt is supervising and taking calls. Christian's got the day off. Kevin's got the day off. And it's so great to have you along. It's threatening to do something, rain, snow, who knows what. And so it's great to have you along. They say that this is good weather for radio, good time to be inside, listening to Anthony Weiner on the radio, throwing shoes at the thing, and maybe calling in. Feel free. Let's go to uh, George in Garden City. Hey, George, welcome aboard. Hi, Anthony. How are you? I'm good. Uh, this, is, this is George, the core clerk. I hate to keep saying that, but I have some experience. I'm not disagreeing with anybody, but this is for your audience, too, to understand. The Constitution is an interpretive document, and you'll have Lawrence Tribe on the – I don't like to say left. He's in one of you. Dershowitz will say something else. And, you know, all the pundits say a lot of things. We used to say something at the courthouse. Um, I don't know who said it. Somebody told me once. No, no one's uh, possessions or liberty are, are safe when the court's in session. So you don't know, you know, how the court – I mean, I know this pundits and it shows how courts are going to uh, – a rule. Um, you, you just never know. Also, I want to say something about the crime statistics. You're not wrong. The crime statistics are possibly lower. I don't know. I don't look at them. But I wanted to just tell you how I used to get them at the courthouse. When, let's say they arrest somebody. For, years ago, they arrested some or two people for shoplifting. Okay, so they reported it to shoplifters. But today, let's say 40 people go in and burst in the store. That's the new thing they have in New York, and they arrest three people. They don't talk about the other 37 that went in there. Yeah, so here's, what, but here's the thing about crime statistics. In 2024, that is much more so than it was in 1974, 84, 94. And that is in order, to, in order for Target or for, or for JCPenney, I don't even exist anymore, for Tiffany's, to make a claim with their insurance company, they need – to have a police report. Now, they will make one report for the crime, but they will also have to say they have to fill out a crime report. I'm not saying that the crime statistics are rock solid. All I am saying is this, is that if we are going to talk about crime being up and point at the statistics, people can't say when crime, the statistics go down, oh, I don't believe them. Or we can't do what John Katsimatidis sometimes does, I don't care if the crime statistics are done. Let's talk to the clerk at CVS to see what they say. (laughs) No, that's not the way it works. We've got to agree on how we're going to have conversations, and they're going to be around something. And in this case, it's going to be data. And crime data is a thing. It has been particularly since the days of of Maple and and, and Bratton in the Giuliani administration where Comstat became a thing, where it became much harder to fudge the stats. I'm not saying it's impossible. Some stats are very hard to fudge. Murder? Hard to fudge. You either have a body or you don't. Gunshot wounds, hard to face. You show up at the hospital, paperwork gets filled out. Property crimes, maybe it's a little bit easier, but I have to tell you, it is in the interest of a store clerk to report to the police when they have been robbed. You might say, well, it's not in Adam's interest. It might not be in the cop's interest. It might not be in the, in, in, in the brass's interest, but it is in the interest of someone. And every reform that we've passed, or if you want to call them that, over the course of the last 25 years, is to capture more and more information. Because only with information can you have these ComStat things. And crime is down in New York City. Crime is down in the country by a lot. And by the way, it's no great mystery. COVID was chaos 
People were making less money. People were home. Kids were home. What's the most dangerous time to be on the subway for crime between three and five? Why is that? Because that's when kids are let out of school and they're on the subways and they're doing trouble. During COVID, they were everywhere. And now that COVID is – and the cops are catching up and the, the system is catching up, crime stats are, are, are leveling off a little bit. The economy is doing better. Crime stats are leveling off a little bit. We have too much crime. One crime is too many crime. Whenever I talk about crime, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. It's kind of like the economy. The stock market is – the stock market is at a record high. So says you. What do you mean so says me? How do I get to make up the crime the, the, the stock market? Welcome back for hour number two in the middle. And when we do, we're going to change up our gears a little bit and talk a little about what's going on in the Middle East. There's U.S. troops carrying out attacks um, inside of Yemen and in the waterways of the Middle East. That's a lot. And did they ask for permission? Should they have had permission? 800-848-WABC. We'll see you for hour number two in the middle. It's Anthony Weiner. Hope to see you on the other side. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Squirrel Nut Zipper. It's a little bit of a Klezma vibe with that one. Put a lid on it. I think it's supposed to refer to that thing that you do at the end of the trumpet, that thing. Is that called a lid? I don't even know. So welcome back. We're talking a little bit about accountability in the first hour, and I guess to some degree there's a connection to what's going on in the Middle East. And so overnight, the last couple of nights, there have been U.S. airstrikes taking out the capability of these Houthi rebels we call them the Houthi rebels, and it's important that we do a little bit of history here. 800-848-WABC, if you'd like to get in on the conversation, 800-848-9222, and Matt will get you up on the board. Who are they rebelling against? Who, why are they called the Houthi rebels? They are a Shia organization that have taken over effectively as part of, I guess you call it a civil war in Yemen, um, have taken over swaths of the country. In the course of a brutal, a brutal civil war that went on 2015, 16, 14, 15, 16, and beyond. And on the other side of that fight was obviously the government of Yemen, but also on the other side of that fight was the Saudis, who see themselves, they're very close to Yemen, who see themselves as the kingmaker in the in the Sunni world. And so Iran provides funding for the Houthis. The I'm not sure that the Houthis would do everything the Iranians say, but they accept funding as part of this Shia movement that they're trying, the Shia crescent, as some people have called it. And Iran funds troublemakers all over the place that are ideologically aligned with them, meaning 
generally speaking, you know, Shia, other Shia organizations, but also just trouble, troublemaking organizations. And they have various degrees of control over these different organizations. For example, they have near complete control over Hezbollah, the biggest of them. They occupy land in Lebanon, have become basically de facto governors of Lebanon. The Iranians have large support and large control over Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah. That's in the north of Israel. In Gaza, Hamas, less control. They provide funding for Hamas, but less control. Houthi, they provide a lot of support. Mm, control is a strong word for it. So the Houthis have been as part of, I guess, part of this global effort by Iran to cause trouble for anyone. They have been attacking ships in the Red Sea. Ships, by and large, ironically or interestingly, going from China to Europe. That's basically, That's most of what these ships were. And they've also been causing trouble for U.S. troops and U.S. facilities. Nothing deadly so far, but it's gotten to the point that they can't be ignored anymore. And maybe they couldn't be ignored right from the very go. I know there are some people in Washington like Lindsey Graham are like, blow up Iran. They want to get into wars all the time. But I know a lot of callers to this show, one of the things they say they liked about Donald Trump is that they didn't get into wars. And so Israel and Biden and the United States have been trying not to expand the conflict beyond Gaza, not to expand it with Hezbollah in the north of Israel, if they could, and not to expand it definitely in the case of Iran. So finally, the Biden administration says, says enough is enough. They form a coalition of other governments. And we say we are going to start striking back at these Houthis that are operating out of Yemen. Now, the United States is not attacking Yemen. We're not, it's not the government of Yemen. And this is where many of the protesters who have started to basically adopt the idea that, okay, Yemen's on our side. We're rooting for Yemen here. That's not really a thing. I played last week this chant. I don't know if we have access to cuts from past weeks, but this like people were saying Yemen, Yemen, turn another boat around or whatever it is. It's not Yemen. It's these Houthi rebels. And by the way, why are you cheering for an organization that is attacking a Swedish ship bringing goods to Japan? How does that help the Palestinians and why are you chanting their name? And what this comes down to, unfortunately, is this thing that I've talked about ever since October 7th, which is this idea of these protesters, these pro-Palestinian protesters have no idea what they're talking about, so many of them. I know people said, oh, they, the river from the sea, that's them being, that's them being genocidal. Well, some people might know what river from the sea means. I bet you most of these bozos have no idea. And now it's even proved even more profoundly that they're chanting down in Washington right now in support of the Houthi rebels? Have any of them Googled any of this stuff? Do you know that they, in the parts of Yemen that are controlled by the Houthis, do you know they've brought back slavery? Literal slavery. That they, the, the leaders of the Houthis have slaves. Go ahead, Google it. I'll wait. Do they have any idea... What that these what these Houthis are doing? How no? Now some people have said, and this is not an unfair beef. Some people have said, well, 
Joe Biden in 2021, when he came into office, took the Houthis off the terrorism watch list, the terrorism list. And the reason for that was that Biden decided he was going to try to mediate peace between the Saudis and the Houthis. And as a gesture, he said, okay, we want you to come to the table. We have some influence over the Saudis here. Already Congress, in a bipartisan way, said we want to stop sending weapons to the Saudis that are going to be used against the people of Yemen because it was a, a, a humanitarian catastrophe, what was going on in Yemen. And so he says, all right, as a gesture, I will take them off the list to get everyone at the table to try to work out some form of peace, some form of diplomacy. Well, it didn't work with the Houthis. Well, that's, it's not, I mean, things did cool off between the Saudis and the Houthis, and the humanitarian crisis ebbed a little bit. So I can't say nothing happened. But they're still bad guys, these Houthis. And the Iranians are still bad guys. So Joe Biden puts together this coalition and blows up some of their stuff, blows up their radar, blows up their depots, blows up their plane, their, their, their drones, just basically. And they said, if you... And we're going to protect commerce. Now, what's interesting about this, another thing that I find interesting, you know who's not part of that coalition, who should be? It's the Chinese. This is one of those interesting, we have a lot of common common interests here. The Chinese don't like these attacks going on the Red Sea either because it's mostly, it's a lot of their ships, their commerce, and their economy is really struggling right now. So here we are with this situation, but it's raised another question here about this notion of accountability, and that is, should, under the Constitution, the power to declare war is with Congress, not with the president. However, there is something called the War Powers Act that kind of tries to clarify that, yeah, you've got to get permission, but in circumstances, in a lot of circumstances, you've got to notify Congress what you're going to do. And... Some people have said, both on the left and on the right, they said, listen, you guys had plenty of time to think this through. You had plenty of time to go to Congress to get permission. Nowadays, since forever, that's not fair. Since a lot of instances in the last 25 or 30 years, presidents have acted without getting the permission of Congress. Is this a case where Joe Biden should have gone to Congress and gotten permission? I think he would have gotten it. Is this the kind of thing that was immediate, like you had to act quickly, like it says in the law, if you have to really move quickly, you don't have to, you just have to let the Congress know? It turned out he did brief Congress. And I know that some people say, well, let's do more of this. Let's hit Iran. I think the imperative now is to try not to broaden this war further than it needs to. The Houthis are a nuisance, and I think you've got to handle them that way. But if people want to say you've got to hit Iran, oof, that's broadening the war. And maybe Iran wants that. Maybe Iran wants to broaden the war to include them. Maybe they, they are trying to get us to do something. Now, Biden says that he's communicated very clearly to the Iranians that we're not going to tolerate this. It looks like these strikes have had the desired effect, at least for the time being. We haven't 
in the last 48 hours. Though, we haven't – we heard one – They one a missile was fired by the Houthis and it landed in the water harmlessly. But it's not an easy – it's not an easy question because I know that the last thing that the Israelis would like if they can avoid it is a two-front war with Hezbollah and Hamas. And I know that the administration is trying to keep that under wraps. But at a certain point, when you have people firing at at commerce, if you have people firing on our troops, if you have – you just can't sit and let that go on forever. So I think it, it – so far it seems to be a responsible reaction. But I would prefer it if presidents came to Congress and got permission. That's my strong preference. And let's go to some calls. Ed from Tampa, you've been waiting a while. Thank you for doing so. Welcome aboard. Anthony, thank you very much. Yeah, well, the main reason, and I think this is a good reason to skip Congress, is they were interfering with commercial shipping, and they are going around Africa, the ships were, to get around from that fire. So uh, I definitely think it was a good idea. But, I mean, Congress gets back, they get back to Congress on this. It's not like they wait a year for them to talk about an operation. Yeah, but the thing is, there is this constitutional thing. I mean, is this a war? Maybe not. Maybe not. But I think increasingly, I mean, the the I mean, Congress has to have a say here. It's a constitutional. It's it's a constitutional question about whether or not Congress gets involved. I guess the thing is, if you're taking so long to plan this and to ponder it, once you come up with a plan, should you go to Washington? Should you go to Capitol Hill and get approval for it? I, I I'm kind of with you, Ed, that I think that it. It falls into that category of, you know, look, the president has to be able to go negotiate with other countries. Here's what we're going to do. Um, and you're right. What what you were describing is the way that ships have to now circumvent the Red Sea is they have to go through the Horn of Africa, which adds to a lot a lot of expense. As as I was saying to my friend Kitty before, you know that she's like, oh yeah, all it takes is is for commerce to become more expensive, then everyone is going to do something, and that's not wrong. That's why there's so many co- coalition partners in this. The Houthis have have you know you you can't just fire. And but the thing that I don't understand, and maybe Ed, you can explain it to me. How does why would a protester who doesn't like what Israel is doing in Gaza somehow think the Houthis are on their side by shooting at a boat on the way to Korea? I get no. I get. No, do you understand that at all? Get that either. Yeah, we were we were discussing that uh, during the week about that. But you know, this is college, and whatever goes through uh, social media, hey. You could be out in front of uh, somebody's house protesting. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. And thank you for calling it. Call, call us again. I mean, the, the 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 problem is that you know it morphs so easily. Everyone says we've got to get we've got to kind of do a better job of educating young people on college campuses. But when you're up against, you know, I think it was Curtis who said to me, you know, anything that rhymes is gonna is gonna is gonna sell. You know, it almost doesn't matter if it has any factual reinforcement. Let's go to Steve in New Jersey. Hey, Steve, thank you for calling. Anthony, uh, something you may be missing out on here, but Iran fears the most is Israel and Turkey getting together and fighting them. Because Israel alone cannot fight the Iranians. The army's too big. And if they had to open up two full campaigns, Israel is maxed out. I see Iran worried about Turkey. The other side of the coin is the uh, Saudis do not trust uh, Biden. They see him as a fool. If I talk to them, and I've worked over there, and they think he's an idiot, 
and they don't want to deal with them. So they're waiting for a change in administration, whatever happens, and see somebody that's more stable and they can rely on. Yeah, I mean, here, here's the here's the problem. Yeah, the, the the I appreciate it, Steve. Thank you for calling. The problem with the Turkey analysis is Turkey's in NATO, so Turkey's Turkey goes to battle with Iran. Then that means NATO's got to come with them. That doesn't make much sense. And the real bulkhead against Iran in that part of the world has been Saudi Arabia. And you say that they don't like Joe Biden. Yeah, because Joe Biden's holding them accountable for stuff. Donald Trump just just bent over for them, and now their son-in-law is you know works for the Saudis. He's in the pocket of the Saudis because he's got these live golf tournaments going on. And Joe Biden has held them accountable and, 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 and has, has said that they were responsible for 9-11. Yeah, no doubt about it, the Saudis want to get Donald Trump back, which is almost the dictionary definition of why you and I should not. Um, but, yeah, Turkey, the Turkey analysis doesn't make a lot of sense because of the NATO angle to it. Because, remember, the, 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 the way that NATO functions, one, one party um, – uh, one 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 of our member states is in a war. We're all in the war. And here's one other thing to keep in mind. You're wrong about the relative sizes of the armies between between Iran and and Israel. Israel's a much more powerful military than Iran. But that assumes that Iran does not have access to a nuclear weapon, which is why the Iran nuclear deal was such a big deal and why the deal that Hillary Clinton negotiated that got Russia on board and China on board uh, for sanctions against Iran to get them to put down their their nuclear we- weapons program. For whatever you think of the of the Iran nuclear deal, and I had some problems with it, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Whatever you think of it, it succeeded in its primary objective, which was to stop Iran from from developing a nuclear weapon. We know this because for the first time, the country made itself open for inspections. The the uh, the um, Something regulatory. Who was? What's the name of the organization that does the inspections? They they did inspections. The Trump administration officials had said yes, they're in compliance, but people didn't like the idea that the Iran was still doing other things, still causing trouble around the world. the The purpose of the Iran nuclear deal was not to make Iran good people; <laughs> it was to make them non nuclear. So, w- would you go to war against Iran now? Unlike in the 1980s, when knocking out their nuclear capability was the was a matter of sending a, a, a wing of fighter planes over. Now their their resources are underground. You would need a sustained, long time, heavy bombardment of the country, and then hope for the best to try to knock out their nuclear weapons program. They learn the, they learn the lesson. The only way to really make sure you got it is to go in the doors, go down those heavy elevators, and go look around. So the idea, okay, let's just knock out Iran. And by the way, people have to make up their mind. If you like the idea that of us not being involved in wars, suddenly people are like, oh, let's bomb Iran. Mm, I'm not sure that's such a great idea. I mean, I, I, I believe that you deal, deal with these things one at a time. First, you take out Hamas the best you can. The Israelis are doing that. They should get our help doing it. The U.S. Congress should help. Second, or concurrently, you take out these these Houthi cells by taking out all of their resources. But you tell the the the, the Saudis, we don't expect you to start bombing Yemen just because we've taken out the Houthis. And then third, uh, Hezbollah, and Hezbollah has to be treated. They're arguably the most dangerous of the three, and they have kind of they're causing more and more trouble with every week. But they have said that we're not broadening this conflict. 
They didn't go in at the same time Hamas did. Everyone says, oh, Iran must have coordinated this. Well, in that case, how come Hezbollah has largely stayed on the sideline and Nasrallah said that he's not he, he's, he's going to go in on his own speed? So that's the way you do it. Anthony Weiner's Cure for Terrorism in 30 seconds. And we'll be right back. When we get back from the break, we'll take more of your calls, 800-848-9222. Then at 4 o'clock, ding, 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 John Katzmatidis, Anthony Weiner, left versus right. You're going to want to stick around for that. We'll see you on the other side. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Trick. I think it's live at Budokan with Surrender. Uh, so a little bit of a sports update. The Capitals are beating the Rangers. The Rangers are sliding recently. They've got some injuries. I don't think Sabanajad played today. And uh, they are just not – this is their same problem they've had the last couple of years. They're not a great five-on-five team. They get a ton of a ton of, of, of power play goals. Kreider hasn't been himself. Panarin has been amazing. But the rest of the team is – and by the way, Shesterkin's only been average. The Islanders play later. They are in Nashville. A head-to-head matchup of two of the best goalies in the league, Sorokin and Soros. I don't know if you saw this. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I can already hear Chad Lopez calling me, saying, no hockey talk. But let me squeeze it in before I get fired. He, you know, uh, um, Barzell, he is the first player in NHL history to have three assists in regulation and then score the overtime goal. He did that twice already this season. He did it against Toronto earlier in the week. So there it is. I squeezed in a hockey update. We'll erase it from the tape. So we're talking a little bit about the Middle East. We have some callers on the board for that. 800-848-9222. line is open if you want to get in. WABC at gmail.com. I'm taking you to 4 o'clock. And then at 4 o'clock, me and John Katsimatidis go at it again. Round three, left versus right. And we'll probably talk about some foreign affairs stuff, although we, we really do agree on most of it, but we'll have a chance to talk about that as well. So let's go back to the calls. George in Rockland. Hey, George, how are you, pal? Hey, how are you doing, Anthony? Good. Thanks for taking my call. My so pleasure. listen, okay, uh, I'm going to run something by you. Uh, representative, uh, Congresswoman uh, AOC uh, stated that she want to bring uh, the Palestinian from Gaza, all of them, here. So they actually, it doesn't sound too bad. They have already two representatives here, Omar and uh, Talib. okay? They both uh, support them, okay? So let's bring them down to Michigan and, and, and uh, uh, where's Omar there? In, 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 you know, in Kalamazoo. In, 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 yeah, the only right. problem, George, I don't want to throw off your little riff here, but she never said that. 
I, your friend Saliva said is that she did? No, no. So, so, he yeah, he, he had it wrong. So a guy named Biggs, this guy in Congress, he said it on a show, on a, on a podcast. Someone asked him for his source on that, and he admitted that she never said it, that he said, well, the U.N. might want to do that or something. That hasn't happened. You know, the level to which Curtis, you, the world, treats AOC as some kind of a boogeyman. I mean, look, I disagree with her about Israel, and I don't think she understands the issues very well. And when she was running for office, she said she did it. Maybe she'll evolve. Who knows? But um, And I think she's by and large been pretty wrong on this stuff. But she didn't say that. But, you know, these things are not that hard to check. They're really not that hard to check. You know, all I did when I heard this for the first time, I just, I literally just put, does AOC want to bring Palestinians um, in Gaza to the United States of America, and it turned out that I got this to- this Biggs quote, which turned out to be wrong. But I appreciate your calling. The next, let's go to Jeffrey in Manhattan. Hey, Jeffrey, welcome aboard. Yeah, hi, uh, Tony. I'm uh, an 81-year-old retired lawyer, and uh, I've followed your career for a long time. Great respect for your domestic views, but I have to question. I haven't listened to your program from the beginning tonight, but I haven't heard you say much about the 23,000 dead Gazans and the 10,000 young people buried or killed by rubble on falling buildings. I'm wondering if you uh, perhaps find uh, that overreach can be uh, ascribed to the Israeli reaction. They probably killed 1,000 or 2,000 members of Hamas and another 21,000 uh, women and children. Do you have any problems with this? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a terrible it's a terrible situation. However, once you start from the premise where I start, which is that the only way you stop Hamas is by killing them, then it just becomes the question of how. And it is very easy. And I'm open to suggestions that you might have. I'm open to suggestions about how you do that without, unfortunately, some people tragically and they and for people to say, well, there's no such thing as an innocent Palestinian because they voted for Hamas in 2017. I'm sorry, in 2007. I obviously disagree with that. Um, there are innocent Palestinians. However, uh, if you can tell me a better a better way to do this, unfortunately, this is a densely populated part of the world. Hamas is has as a strategic me- method. That's almost indisputed at this point, operated from within those densely populated areas. Um, unfortunately, this is this is what happened. But I think it's because of the actions of Hamas and not just the actions of Israel. What say you, Jeffrey? Well, firstly, uh, by saying that they're using the people of Hamas as shields, etc., I would be very happy to hear if you could name me one anti-colonialist or any resistance movement that has done other than integrate themselves in the population. It seems like Israel is calling for them to, like, you know, leave the cities of Gaza and demarcate some kind of a base so that Israel can much more easily destroy them. Now, my solution is the way Israel has been doing it in the West Bank when they think there's a terrorist there. They send in seven or eight jeeps and armored cars. They surround the area and they bring out and sometimes they have to kill some people who are resisting, but they bring out people who are wanted in Israel for crimes without destroying the entire neighborhood. It's just, I, I, Jeffrey, no, I, I understand, Jeffrey, and, and now you're talking about war tactics, and I'm glad that you stipulated to the idea that this is exactly what Israel's up against. You're saying that there might be reasons that they're among the civilians, but that they are. 
And once you start with that, and it's a densely populated area, and it's a little bit different than the West Bank. Gaza is much more densely populated than the West Bank. And it is just and, – and a lot of these, these, these terrorists are underground. That's been documented as well, literally and figuratively underground. And if the, the third thing, and you say, well, how, how can it be – well, one solution is that if Hamas had, had, for example, taken some of the resources that they had, that international aid had brought into the region, and instead of using them for – Tunnels and for armaments had used it for things like bomb shelters or used it for things. Listen, if you're going to attack, there was an expectation that Israel would respond. But, Jeffrey, here's the thing. This 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 notion that there's some sanitary way to prosecute an urban war. And the time to think about that was when Hamas crossed, ended a ceasefire, crossed over an international border and slaughtered people. I mean, there was going to be this war was commenced at that point. And I know it is it is it is gut wrenching to watch. It's gut wrenching to watch war. But I don't really I don't really have my arms around exactly what Israel's other alternative is. There is one alternative that exists. And maybe, Jeffrey, you would think that this is one that is acceptable. If Hamas surrendered and released the hostages, I'm pretty sure that the IDF would stop blowing up buildings in 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 Gaza, don't you think so? Would then continue, of course, as they have on the West Bank, like killing three hundred people on the West Bank without any cause. There's uh, been hardly any opposition at all from Mr. Abbas, who's basically like a wet. Mule. I agree. But can Look, I ask you one more sure, question, sure. and then I'll hang up? Fire away. One more question. I want you to just answer me this straight. If if like after World War II, sometime in 1960, they found. Either Hitler or Dr. Mengele alive, and he was hiding in a high-rise building in Haifa, you know, like that, with 50 other couples living in the same building. And he was threatening to escape quickly. Do you think that Israel would blow up the building, or do you think it would surround the place? Well, but that, but that's one or two people. I mean, the problem is it's a counterfactual, Jeffrey. The, we know that there are thousands. I really appreciate the call. It's a very thoughtful call. I hope you call us again. The 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 If you wanted to make it a... Similar thing. What if they found out Hitler was surrounded by the, the, uh, 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 the what used to be Nazi youth, and now they're grown up to be a, a brigade of Nazis in Buenos Aires, and there's thousands of them there, and the and the nation of and the, the country of of Argentina is powerless to get them out. What would they do? Maybe they would take out the off, the, the building. I don't know. But right now, this is a war. This is not a. This is more than a hostage situation. This is a war. And it's not existential for Israel. I would agree with that. They're, they they are going to survive this. But in order for them to survive long term, they have to rid the, the neighborhood of Hamas. But, you know, the answer we didn't get is what would happen if tomorrow Hamas said through through um, through Qatar, through Egypt, they said, all right, we can't we 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 want to we just want to surrender and here are the hostages and would the bombing stop? I think it would. At that point, if the bombing continued, I'd be among the first to say Israel is is should is 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 doing it wrong. And as far as the other point that there have been problems in the West Bank on the Israeli side, I agree. I mean, listen, Bibi Netanyahu is not going to be around long. His government won't be around long, and part of it is because they've done such a terrible job in fostering an environment that they can figure out a way to have peace 
um, with their neighbors. And and as the caller said, Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Fatah movement, the head of the Palestinian Authority, has been worse than feckless. He's been useless. And we'll be rock- we'll be back with the middle. It's Anthony Weiner. We'll see you on the other side. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner. Um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. That's right, stuck in the middle with me, Anthony Weiner. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I'm taking you to 4 o'clock. Then John Katsipatidis comes in for us to continue our left versus right battles, round three. I think I may visit the studio when Curtis is on the air at noon. I don't want to come in during his overnight. I don't want to wake him. Maybe I'll go in when he's there at noon and see how he's feeling about all this. Um, I mean, John has been... But I'm I'm ready for him today. I'm more ready than I was the last couple of weeks. I did a little prep. I've studied Katsimatidi's technique a little bit. You know, oh, I don't believe the crime stats. I asked the CVS clerk. What? Come on, that's we're not going to. But he's 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 good. The thing the thing I realized is that John and I have kind of been debating in one way or another for years because he ran for mayor in 2013. I ran for mayor in 2013. So we were at a lot of. I was like running the Democratic primary. He's in the Republican primary, but we would see each other all the time. And we would frequently confide in one another that we were probably close enough to each other than we were to our our colleagues. Let's go to Waldemar in Brooklyn. Hey, am I saying your name right, my friend? Perfect. Fire away. Yeah, perfect. Hi, you, you hear me? You're on the air, my friend. Okay, uh, listen, I uh, I want to see how you can uh, get the message to Curtis on how to become the next mayor, which is, you you know what's going on in Brooklyn with the brownstones that are owned by, you know, minority owners that, you know, we, we purchased them, you know, at a low price. And now because of the market, now we're sitting on a, one million to two million dollar houses, and we perfect targets for the scamming attorneys with the blessing of the attorney general. Oh, and, and they're stealing our homes. And if Curtis addresses that and says, I'm going to go after you, you stop all this because this is a terrible tragedy. That you know, when, when you reach 70, 80, uh, and somebody just steals your house. And, how and how no, I'm not I'm not sure how how they're stealing your house. Well, in my case, a lawyer is suing me for a million and a half dollars, which by coincidence is what the house is worth, and it's paid for, so he doesn't have to fight. A, and then when I reach out to the other 
to any agency, you know, because it's a false case. It's just a matter of case. All right. Well, here, here's what I'll do. Well, we're not going to solve this on the air. Here's my email address, wienerwabc at gmail.com. You send me the information in a place that I can contact you. I don't, you know, I'm not in government anymore, but I don't like it when people are exploited. And it sounds like, like you're being taken advantage of as far as Curtis, when he's mayor, um, he might be able to handle that. But if it's attorney general, then obviously that's a, 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 a state law. Let's go to Frank in Westchester. Hey, Frank. Yeah, hi, Anthony. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I want to bring up a point that I seems to be overlooked. Okay. You know, Israel has an official standing military uniformed army, okay? And Palestine does not have that. So there are different international rules of engagement when an army, okay, goes, you know, against civilians, okay? And and the solution uh, that Israel needs to take a strictly defensive position, okay, when they're going into Palestine. Well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, how could you take a strictly defensive position? By the way, I don't know what Palestine is, but you mean when they go into Gaza, they take a defensive position? In that case, why are they in Gaza? Well, let me answer your question. You don't do you don't do scatter bombing like with airplanes and everything. You go in with your military, okay, and you go forward and you take over whatever you have to take over. Well, what if? But could it possibly be, Frank? Let me just interrupt. Could it possibly be that that the Israeli that the Israeli defense forces? knows how to prosecute a war maybe better than you and I do thousands of miles away. Could it? Could that be possible? But this is not an official war. This is not a, a, a declaration of war involved in, in this issue. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. Yeah, it <laughs> no, is. It's not. It <laughs> is. Well, I mean, there, there isn't, there isn't a, 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 a switch on the wall that you break the glass and then say war. This is, this is a, I mean, remember, Hamas was elected by the people in the terror in Gaza to represent them. This is the government of Gaza has attacked Israel. Well, it's still it's still a civilian issue. They don't have a standing army. Yeah, it's a civilian. It, first of all, that's ridiculous. Hamas definitely does have a military wing. It's twice as large as their as their civilian wing. And by the way, the people on the uh, the the thousand the over a thousand people in Israel who were who were decapitated, who were raped, who were murdered, were civilians. We would not have this situation if, if this was a military, uh, if, the, if this was someone had fired at, a, at, at, a, at a, a, a military officer on the Israeli side of the border. That, unfortunately, happens all the time. Israel, the borders of Israel, a, a ceasefire was in effect. There were two sides to a ceasefire. Are you aware of that, Frank? The ceasefire was in effect. How can you not have a ceasefire if you weren't at a war? I understand. But it's a similar situation like we had in Vietnam, where the Viet Cong, okay, uh, you remember that village that we uh, annihilated uh, when we were in uh, South Vietnam? Or- you, you don't need Vietnam. <laughs> you can talk about Dresden if you want yeah. the worst example in Germany. But but here's the problem. I mean, Frank, I really do appreciate your calling. But here's the problem, and this has now been a couple of calls. So you think, oh, well, maybe we can figure out a way to kill Hamas without hurting anybody. No, that's unfortunately, I believe me, everyone would love that. The Israelis would love that too. Unfortunately, this is, this is, this is too, by the way, this is a small spit of land. Both are small. Israel is small. It's the size of New Jersey. Gaza is small. People are pressed into these places. <clears throat> if we agree with the premise that Hamas has to be killed, then it just becomes the how. 
And everyone said, oh, it's got to be some easy sanitary way to do this. It's horrible. Innocent people are dying. The innocent Palestinians that are dying, the innocent Israelis that are that have died, the innocent is, is, is Israeli Palestinians that have died have died because they are now in a war zone because of Hamas. And for some comic relief, let's go to the naked cowboy. That naked cowboy? Hey, how you doing, Anthony? I'm hey, doing... I saw you last time I saw you. It was at Bernie McGurk's uh, funeral. That's exactly right. You were Fortunately, you were wearing clothes at Bernie's funeral. Thank God for that. Well, you know, it's funny. I went in there, my underwear, boots, and hat. And then the minister said, can you please take off your hat? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the guy who wore three articles, boots, hat, and underwear, into the ring... Had to take off one more. I feel you knocking. How you doing, my man? I'm doing very good. I'm just driving home from another in Times Square. They had a, they had that little hourglass. Bring them home now. So I put my underwear. I have Israel underwear, and you know, with a big heart. I also have no Iran underwear, which I wore yesterday. I don't like to be antagonistic, but I feel you. you I know, feel, I'm, listen, I'm home. I mean, a man's got to wear a man's got to wear whatever the political underwear of the moment is. That's you pr- pretty much had no choice. You had no choice. You are speaking the truth. Well, listen, man, I appreciate your calling. I'm glad you're on your way home. It's going to get cold and uh, and nippy out there, and we we don't want to have any problem with uh, shrinkage. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weir, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. Tears for fears. Everybody wants to rule the world. In the case of Israel, that's not true. They just want to be left more or less alone. Um, And they're doing what they can. You know, when they were created in 1948, 20 Arab states declared war on her. 1947, when there was a partition plan, that they would get basically half the country they have today. Jerusalem would be divided under someone else's control. The Israelis said, ugh, we don't like it, but we'll accept it. And the Palestinians responded by declaring war. Now, history did not start on that day. You can go back further. You can go back to biblical time. And a lot of this story depends upon where you started. But for those people who are in Washington today holding up signs, at least I would hope they took the time to 
we at least understand the history a little better. Then when they say from the river to the sea, what is it that they mean? If they mean from the river to the sea, we have a one-state solution, and everyone and there's no right for a Jewish state. There's a right for Arab states left and right, but there's no right for a Jewish state. Is that what they mean? Do they mean they want a two-state solution? Well, in that case, can one of the states be armed against the other? That's not a solution. What is it that they mean? If they care about the aspirations of Palestinians, that is totally fine. I do, too. I do, too. And I know probably a lot of people in Israel do. There are a lot of Arab Jews. Not Arab Jews. There are a lot of um, Arab Israelis. There are not Arab Jews anymore, by the way, in the Arab world. Because when Israel was created, all these Arab states said, leave here or we'll slaughter you. And very, very often they did. They said, we're, an, we're a Muslim state. You guys have to leave. So you probably can't raise a minion now in, in, in Aleppo. You can't raise a minion now in, 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 in Yemen. Used to be a thriving Yemeni Jewish community. So when people say, you know, just why can't they all get along? It's a very good question. And when, around the time of the Oslo Accords, when, when the Palestinians were offered basically 96% of the land in the West Bank and Gaza, ways to connect them, infrastructure, even, even a, a tentative plan to, to, to divide Jerusalem, something that many Israelis believe they should never do, including me. It was Israelis that said yes, and it was the Palestinians that declared a second intifada. And to the people who have called up today, some excellent calls today, excellent calls. But to people who have called up and said, all right, can't we do this in a more sanitized way? The most sanitized way is that when Israel left Gaza in 2005, the people of that part of the world said, oh, we got what we wanted. Let's show that we can govern this place. And instead, they chose Hamas. Hamas diverted any kind of aid that went to that part of the world into armaments and building underground tunnels rather than building schools and hospitals and shelters. They defeated the Palestinian Authority, the Palestinian Authority, which still runs the West Bank. Well, runs is a strong word. They're discredited there, too. So when people want to look for the easy answers, we don't have easy answers. If you want to hold Bibi Netanyahu responsible for the security problems, hold him responsible for focusing more on you know, having a, a right-wing Government that was more about keeping him in power than it was running the country well, fine. I'm with you. Bibi Netanyahu will not be the prime minister this time next year. That's a democracy in that part of the world. I can I can read the polls. But we in the United States should say we support the we support Israel. They're a lone democracy in that part of the world. They're our ally. We are committed to them. And part of that is that the aid that is now currently pending in Washington gets released. And same for Ukraine. These issues are not easy, but to me they're clear. And so for the people who are marching in Washington today, holding up signs, commending the Houthi rebels, good grief. More than 1,800 Yemenis work as slaves in the residences of Houthi officials. For people who are saying, 
from the river to the sea, at least learn what river and what sea you're talking about. The people who are concerned about the Palestinians who say you want to free the Palestinians, yes, free them from Hamas first and foremost. You want to save the Palestinians, save them from Hamas first and foremost. These issues are not easy, but they're clear. And at 4 o'clock, speaking of easy and clear, I am not going to take it easy on John. It is clear that I am due for a win. And we're going to talk about some of the issues. I'm all ready to go. I have the advantage because I'm going to, I'm in charge of deciding what the issues are. And we're going to have a chance to, to, to go back and forth in the way that we should as a country. It's 2024. This is an election year. Monday is the Iowa caucus. Votes begin. We'll be choosing our nominees. All this craziness on the radio about about Gavin Newsom and Barack Obama and Michelle Obama and Oprah Winfrey. It's Trump v. Biden, whether you like it or not. Most Americans don't like it, but that's what you got. But we're going to be talking all about, all about that on Left versus Right at 4 o'clock, so I encourage you to stick around. If you've missed any part of this show through the magic that they do around here under the leadership of Matt, we're going to turn us into a podcast. I encourage you to listen there. And we encourage you to stick around a little later. I think Tony Orlando is going to have Paul Stanley of Kiss on the show, which is – Amazing. As you know, that was my first concert. It's great to have you here on The Middle, and I want to express my gratitude to all of you. You've made the show a success. Your calls make it a success. Your feedback makes it a success. And you're listening to the most powerful radio station in the East, and one where we really do honor the idea that we have a diversity of ideas, we have a diversity of thought, and we're always open to hearing what you have to say. Stay tuned for Left vs. Right. I'm Anthony Weiner. I'm grateful for your support.